Welcome to the Three Questions Podcast. We take questions from our church family and do our very best to answer them from a biblical worldview. We all have the privilege to serve the Lord's Church here locally at Southern Hills Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. Doug Melton is our lead pastor. Uh, Pablo Villa is our pastor of our Spanish-speaking ministry. Jeremy Johnson is our pastor of media and community outreach. My name is Daniel Snow, and I get to be pastor of Discipleship and Young Adults. You guys, we are really excited to be doing this again. We, we just had to take a break for a while, and we're really excited to be back. want to let you know, uh, as you're listening to this, that there's always ways you can send questions in, and that's what we love and that's what it takes to for this thing to keep moving forward. So three ways you can do that. You can email them to threequestionspodcast at myshbc.com. That's with the number three at the beginning. You can go to the website, myshbc.com slash contact, or you can text 505-258-2076, and the questions are kept anonymous. So... We are back. How long has it been? Uh, how long? Yeah. Oh my. I, you know, I December, haven't even seen you. It took us a while. December 2022. Wow. Okay. wow. It seems like last year. Last <laughs> it sure seems like it. <laughs> okay. You know, it took us a while to ship Randy Whittle mm-hmm. out. Yeah. yeah. You know, we had you to know. take care of him. Right. And grieve. That's right. That's right. It, took, it took us nine months. Yes. <laughs> So, Randy, if you ever get to hear this, please know that's that's how deep it was. And so, Pablo, any bilingual questions? That's right. They're coming to you. It's the only reason I'm here. You have to fill that Randy hole, the the Spanish speaking. We're also going to expect the Hebrew and the Greek. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'll catch up on it. We'll see. Oh, so really, we are really, really glad to be doing this again. We, I know we've said it uh, a lot of times when we are just talking to each other and getting ready to start recording how much we look forward to these times mm. of chatting together. And, and then it's, it's kind of neat to know sometimes the Lord uses it. And thankful for so many who have encouraged us to yeah. let's get it going again. Yeah. And, yeah, that's meant a whole lot. It has been. So, okay, first question for today is, how do we square the telling of the story of when the women came to the empty tomb in Matthew 28 and differences in John 20? And so this is all about harmonizing the Gospels, which just means helping put the Gospels together. And it's a great question uh, a really good question. It is. And as a matter of fact, uh, just to give you a heads up on the second question we're going to de- be dealing with, we're going to be talking about creation. And in our church, we're really trying to help get an evangelism emphasis going. And those are two areas, guys, that a lot of folks that, that don't know the Lord, that are inquisitive or seeking mm-hmm. truth, creation and the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. Two biggies. That's yeah, right. yeah. And so the first thing I want to add to the conversation is that there are no contradictions mm-hmm. in Scripture. Let's establish that right from the beginning. Uh, you're, anytime we're looking at the Word of God, please know that if, if we study it, if we take the time, and that we're truly seeking after mm-hmm. truth, we will find that the accounts do mesh together and that there are not any contradictions. That's right. And I, see, I think we see that throughout Scripture, that different stories of the same account give us a a fuller picture of what's happening, right? Like 
Judas's death between Acts 118 and Matthew 27 5 give us a full account of him being hung and then following his gut spilling out. And I think we see the same here thing here with the resurrection. We have some accounts saying it was dark, some are saying that it was there was some light coming out. But we have the woman starting the journey in the dark and arriving at the tomb when the light was coming out. Mark, Luke, and John say that when they get there, the stone was rolled. But normally in Matthew, we have the account of the angel showing up, the stone rolling away, the the, the soldiers being scared. Uh, well, that happened during the journey. We see that the woman left and then the stone was rolled away. So when the woman get there, we have the same account. Uh, John emphasizes Mary Magdalene's personal encounter with Jesus. She seems to be the only one there. We know through the other accounts that there are other women and that they have an encounter with Jesus as well. Well, it's very easy to to see that that Mary could have just stayed behind in her mourning and her yeah. frustration right. of where is Jesus right now. And the other woman went to tell the disciples, hey, y'all need to get here and, and, and see and, and go meet Jesus in Galilee. Uh, and they both have an encounter with Jesus. That's the beauty of the glorified body of Jesus, that he, he can uh, give this, those two encounters. Uh, and so I think they give us the full picture by giving us their specific focus of, of each story. That's good. Yeah. Okay. You gave a really good illustration a minute ago about your wedding, mm -hmm. and all four of us in this room right now were thankfully at That's your right. wedding, Pablo. Yeah. Thank you for inviting us. It took some us. convincing from and Kate. But. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And so, so we were all there. We all saw the same thing. Mm -hmm. But what was your point about that? That we were like, if you were to ask each one of us. How was that wedding day? Tell us about it. Tell us the details. We would all not only have dif different details because we were in different parts of the wedding, uh, but we'd have different emphasis. Like Doug would come to it from a pastoral perspective of sharing the beauty of being able to be a part of the union of a man and a woman before God. I would come to it from the perspective of the groom that's been anxiously waiting for this day for the nine longest months of my life. Uh, <laughs> Daniel and Jeremy would be coming to it from guests that were able to celebrate with family and friends and, and rejoice in this. Got uh, to watch my kids dance that's and be right. crazy. Uh -huh. uh, and Lydia, uh, Lydia's dancing is still part of my story of my <laughs> wedding. Uh, but we have different accounts. Didn't, didn't Connor... Uh, didn't Connor find his wife at your wedding? That's true. See, yeah. Connor would have a yeah, different He would have uh, a very a unique account. story Connor to Osborne, tell. That's right. Incredible. Uh, Incredible. Yeah, you're welcome, Connor. Uh, <laughs> and we see that the different gospel authors have different focuses yeah. when they share their story. That's why they leave some details out. John presents Mary Magdalene talking with Jesus, and he shows that Jesus' resurrection is the fulfillment of John 13 through 16, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Don't grasp onto me, for I must go. John wants to show that, whereas Matthew, speaking to a Jewish audience, wants to debunk the myth that Jesus' body was taken. Yeah. Fear not. The body has not been taken. He has been risen. So they have a different emphasis when they share this story as well. That's good. And in, in, in addition to no contradictions, there is no collusion mm -hmm. between the four different writers. They did not get together. Yeah, the fact that, that these accounts are, some might say, disjointed or yeah, right. giving different details and emphasis uh, actually makes a better case for non-conspiracy. Um, if, like you said, if there was collusion or you know, they were conspiring, well, then they would have match these things up just right. as perfectly as possible. Mm -hmm. And so so that helps. Now, 
on the flip side of that, I have to say, like, if a skeptic wants to to have the mindset that I I don't believe the Bible and I will not believe the Bible, mm-hmm. well, then absolutely you could take a no-win approach. That's and right. when when things fit together well, you know, a skeptic could say, uh, "Well, see, that's just a conspiracy." Or when things are a little disjointed, they can say, "Well, see, that's just a contradiction." I mean, if you want that mindset, you can take that mindset, mm-hmm. but that really is is just showing a a preference that this would not be true. Uh, but we see that I think there's a lot of evidence to show us that it is. Absolutely, absolutely. Contradiction, so there's no contradiction, there's no collusion, and then one other word I'd love for us to hang on to is credibility, mm-hmm. that secular historians, so we're not, you know, there are those who study Christian history, church mm-hmm. history. You guys all took church history. We all took that's right. You got that right. <laughs> Baptist history was probably oh, everyone's favorite. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We're not going to talk about our grades. We're just going to mention that we all took it. Uh, but there are secular historians who will attest to the fact that when you take the biblical accounts of the resurrection, it is far more credible that there are differences mm-hmm. between the accounts rather than there's one single account. One single account always points to mythology mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. legend. Mm-hmm. Things that are of legend can seem, tend to have this one account. This is not legend. It's not mythology. This is reality. And because there are discrepancies, it's far more credible. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yeah. And the, the early church gave it that credibility through, through the coming together of the canon. They recognized that the Holy Spirit had inspired all four accounts. They didn't recognize other gospels as inspired, like the Gospel of Thomas. They recognized these are inspired by the by the Holy Spirit, Therefore, there are no contradictions. They saw it as a fitting together uh, and affirmed it in that way. Whilst people were still living to verify. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's uh, that Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, Mm -hmm. many who are still alive, Mm -hmm. go ask them. In essence, it's what he's implying there. You, they'll tell you. And even in the Gospels themselves, when when they list people's names mm-hmm. that are doing different things, sometimes it seemed very like a side note to the story, but I think probably Tim Keller is the one that pointed this out. There's sort of like footnotes for that time mm. of saying, hey, this is a person you can talk to. Mm. Yeah. That's a good yeah. word. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next question is, uh, it was really given to us in a really good detailed way. Um, I'm going to give kind of the shorter version of the question and it has to do with Genesis one and two. Again, we're back to the issue of harmonizing or, or fitting together. The question is how do we harmonize the creation accounts of Genesis one and two? So how do Genesis one and two, uh, fit together? And the reason that's a, a question and a great question is because, in Genesis 1, you have day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6 of God's creation of the heavens and the earth. And, and we see what he's doing on each of those days of creation. Genesis 2, you have, um, you have a very ground-level view of, of what's happening in, in much more detail with a heavy emphasis on uh, not just all of creation, but especially the creation of humanity, of mankind. And, and so you could one way you could kind of think about it is Genesis 1 is this bird's eye view 
of, of getting to see the whole picture of God's creation. And, and I totally believe there's real Christians who see this differently than I do. I would be one that would say, I, I think they're 24 hour days. I think they're normal days of creation. Um, but either way, someone wants to take that. We're seeing the, the big picture view in Genesis one. So bird's eye view, think of flying in an airplane, looking out the window. Um, and then, and then Genesis 2 is this very, you've landed the plane and you're getting to look close up at, at these ground level views. That's good. That's good. In Genesis chapter 1, you have the main point being God created. Mm. Boy, if you were to summarize Genesis 1 into two words, God created. Yeah. Don't make no mistake about mm -hmm. that. Uh, the author of Genesis, which I believe that is Moses, and I believe that there is one author to all of it. So there are going to be those who say, well, you had one author in Genesis 1, another author in Genesis 2. I don't believe that. I believe that there was one author. And if you were to ask Moses, Moses, what are you trying to convey in Genesis 1? God created. Mm -hmm. If you notice, Moses doesn't try to argue for God's existence. Mm -hmm. It is a statement of fact. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, God and, and so God created. Then in Genesis chapter 2, you've got a whole other emphasis that's going on in Genesis 2. Yeah, I, th I think it leads to, to that climax of that creation being man-made in the image of God. Uh, and I think we see that in verse 5, uh, where it says, Now no shrub of the field had yet grown on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. And he gives two reasons why that hasn't happened. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But in verse 6, we see that springs or a mist would well up from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. So the Lord had not caused it to rain, but the, the mist was watering the ground. So that reason is out of the picture right now. There's still something missing. There is no man to cultivate the ground. And that's where we get to, then the Lord formed the man from the soil of the ground. Uh, so I don't think that's necessarily that... God didn't create plants on day three or day three and day six happen at the same time. I think Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is pointing to the need and the purpose of man here in creation that then we see when God puts Adam in the Garden of Eden in verse 15, he does it to take care of it and to maintain it. But when God puts Adam in this garden, he tells them, you may freely eat, of every fruit from every tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. Well, there's trees, and there, there's fruit that, that Adam can eat from. So, so, so I don't think there's a, a collision there. I think it is an explanation of man's role to care and maintain for God's creation as his representative on his created earth. That's good. What Daniel used a while ago was bird's eye view plus ground level. And boy, we really see that in the creation uh, of man in Genesis 1 and the creation of man in Genesis 2. In Genesis 1, it's a bird's eye view. Right. Male and female, he created them. And that's the emphasis that there's both male and female, and they're both made in the image of God. That's the bird's eye view. Then in Genesis 2, God hones in the microscope is zoomed in, and we get to see, okay, exactly how then did that the male mm -hmm. and female take place? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's right, and and it's such an an awesome and beautiful picture that God gives us of creating the the man and the woman, and and for for each other, 
and both the companionship and then we we see them as married as well and and so um I'm honestly very thankful that that we get get both views. Mm. God chose to give us both views. Um, and knowing that that it is one author, not even meaning the Holy Spirit, but even one human author that the Holy Spirit used, and knowing that this is this is the way we can understand it. That's so good. Okay, so let's go after three words in, in this question. All right. So guys, I'm into alliteration today. I love it. I don't know why. Because we're about to study. <laughs> That's <not> why. <laughs> All right. In in Genesis two, what you see is the communal relationship between God and man, that this is not a God who created and then stepped away, the deistic God mm-hmm. who just wound up the watch and then lets it go. That's not our God. But instead, you see God forming man. He breathes into him the breath of life. He then gives the man work to do. Mm -hmm. So you see this communal relationship. Then the command comes in. Mm -hmm. And that's essential to the story because the whole message of the Bible is God saves. Mm -hmm. Uh, From Genesis to Revelation, God saves. Well, that commandment has got to come in then. To, set, to show us that God is sovereign over creation. He is ruler. And so therefore he has the authority to say to man what you can do and what right. you cannot do. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and then the third C would then be the companionship that it was not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. And we see the first marriage and all of that coming together. Yeah. So mm-hmm. communal relationship, the command, and then the companionship. Mm-hmm. Love it. I think you could even add a fourth, the covenant. And oh, now see, chapter three. Pablo, it ends with the, the covenant of, of the promise of the Messiah in 315. Absolutely. Love that. Man, keeping the seas coming. There we go. <laughs> and he's and, already pulling his weight. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and English isn't even my first language. Right. Would you look at that? I mean, oh, my goodness. It just keeps getting better. Randy, we do miss you, but we're moving on. <laughs> No, okay, and and with with that, I can't but say with the with the covenant of Genesis three, it is amazing. I know we've said it before on this podcast, but it is amazing that in the midst of God pronouncing the curse, which mm-hmm. is so just yep. and deserved, he right in the middle of it is making this promise yeah. that a deliverer is coming. Man, we don't deserve that. I mean, and yet that is what God did from the beginning. That's amazing. That's good. So that's good. God did not even call a do-over in mm-hmm. Genesis three, which yeah. you talk about the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, Adam and Eve, you messed up. Mm-hmm. We're starting all over. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah, I can't remember the potter's will. You mm-hmm. remember the potter is forming the the clay, mm-hmm. and in his hands it's marred. and so he pushes it and he mm-hmm. builds it back up. Right. He, yeah. He renews. He transforms. Yeah. Okay. The third question of the three questions podcast today is what is a biblical ministry of hospitality and how can I grow in this area? And I love the question and the heart of the question and the desire in this area. I'll, I'll read uh, from Romans chapter uh, 15 and verse seven says, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And and that's not the only verse that talks about hospitality at all, but it's a really neat summary of this idea of welcoming 
and that this welcoming at a very practical human to human level is actually for the glory of God. Mm, and and so so you know and and the Bible absolutely gives us this word hospitality. Um, sometimes when we think of hospitality in the English language and, and in our culture, we think of having the right snacks and making sure your home is clean or things like that. Absolutely, it can include, include those things. It can be in your home. It's great when it's in your home, actually. But that's not the only way to do hospitality. And I think a very helpful way of thinking of hospitality is welcoming and including others into your life. And that can take a whole lot of different ways. Um, we can, it's it's always going to take initiative on our part. We're going to have to be the ones that are willing to build a bridge and reach out to someone. Um, it can include things as simple as learning people's names. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have someone with a very unfair advantage in this area with brain capacity in Douglas O'Melton. But the truth is, it really it really does mean something mm-hmm. to people when when someone knows their name and it's worth working at. Um, and it can include things like sharing meals together, even playing games together, but also things like praying for someone, sometimes even praying with someone right in the moment. Mm-hmm. It can include things like conversation and wise counsel, biblical counsel for one another. These are all ways of hospitality. That's good. That's good. Okay. The last Sunday before my vacation, I preached on Romans 15, seven and therefore welcome one another. And Daniel, Mm -hmm. right now you're probably thinking, Oh, I, I didn't remember that, which it's okay. (laughs) It it is. Oh, the, did the blank stare. (laughs) (laughs) I was really trying to disguise that. (laughs) That word welcome there, it means to take one unto oneself. Mm -hmm. So it is not just, Hey, which if you remember in that sermon, absolutely, (laughs) just, just kind of refresh my memory. (laughs) It's not just, Hey, acknowledging someone, Mm. but it is a taking one into oneself, Mm. which is what you were talking about. It's welcoming them, welcoming them into your life. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's so good. And, And I think it's important as we think through that, that we view hospitality as a tool to fulfill the great commission. Uh, as as we fulfill hospitality with fellow believers, what a great opportunity for discipleship uh, as we host a, a younger married couple and they get to see how we interact with our spouse or with our children. They get to see what a, a godly husband and a godly father does and even see us in our failures and see us recognize and repent from those in front of our family. What a great opportunity for teaching them all that Jesus has commanded them to do, like we see uh, in the Great Commission. And as we invite coworkers and, and, and spend time with our neighbors and we show them the love of Jesus and we are the light and the salt of the earth, the light of the world and the salt of the earth, we, we get to make disciples. We get to share the gospel. We get yeah. to hopefully see more believers. And I think it's important to understand, too, that a lot of times we can put the excuse of this is not something I'm good at or or I'm not in the right stage of life right now. I have a one-year-old, so it's hard to get out of the house at all, mm-hmm. and it's hard to get anyone in the house at all. <laughs> but hospitality is a command for the local church. Paul says this in, in Romans 12 and Peter in 1 Peter 4, 9, that we are to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. grumbling. 
it is what the church has to do. I think it would be good too with that great commission focus to think about long-term hospitality within the local church, whether that is prayerfully and seriously considering being involved in foster care or respite care uh, and taking kids into our homes, uh, adopting uh, children in distress and in the fatherless, uh, whether it's taking in international students for a year and being able to host the nations, take them to church, share the gospel of Jesus with them, and and again, seeing hospitality as a tool for the Great Commission. Yeah. Um, something to add into this conversation is it's very interesting to me that one of the things Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. That's right. And absolutely, we should show hospitality to the non-Christian as well. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting to me that there's something evangelistic. I'm not saying we share the gospel by people watching us love one another, mm-hmm. but there is something um, that causes a curiosity that that the Lord uses when non-Christians see us Christians showing hospitality to one another and, and welcoming each other into our lives. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, okay. What awesome. a great start. Yeah, yeah, man, that was so fun. It was great. Thank you all for having me. Pablo, Pablo thanks was, for being uh, here, man. Daniel, we, we had talked about a probationary period for Pablo, but really, I, I think I'm ready to <laughs> pull the trigger. Hey, let's, let's go ahead. And <laughs> Jeremy, keep this in, please. Make sure, make sure it's in there. <laughs> okay, so thanks a ton to Jeremy Johnson for yeah, producing yeah. this podcast. Thanks to you guys who listen everywhere that you are and, and the time that you make to do that. Um If it's helpful, please subscribe and rate and share, and that might help someone else find it too. And that's our prayer, is that somehow God would use this in uh, in His hand for His glory. And until next time, remember that the God of the Bible is never surprised or offended by our honest questions. (laughs) 